Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned in to the Dread Podcast Network. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. From Nice Guy Productions, world headquarters overlooking the glorious San Fernando Valley, I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. Where do stories come from? Author Harlan Ellison used to joke that he bought his at a little story shop. It might be said that they come from a potent combination of experience and imagination. Stories that last feel grounded in the real world, and no matter how fanciful the imaginative elements are. It's one of the reasons I so love the work of Stephen King. His tales are set in a world we all live in, recognize, experience. And then when a door opens into the supernatural, we accept his flights of imagination. His characters are us, and we personally experience the horrors he has wrought because we live in that world. It's also one of the reasons I love the work of Clive Barker, who approaches it from the opposite end of the story. Clive creates surreal, deeply woven imaginative tapestries that are otherworldly, survive in a dimension other than our own. But he makes the unreal world real and believable by populating it with human and inhuman characters who feel genuine, have deep and profound feelings and experience. We know what it would be like to be in their interdimensional places. Stories feed us, express our lives, our loves, our fears, our desires, and our failures. They prepare us for life and insulate us from it. And horror stories, as we've discussed in the past, help us face our fears from a safe distance. They feed our dreams and our nightmares. Our guest, Helena Rain has an incredibly diverse creative background in classical theater and film. She's an author, actress, screenwriter, and director, and her first American film as a director is the canny and wise thriller Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. We'll talk about her life in the arts after this. This episode is sponsored by Gravitas Ventures' new film, The Inhabitant. High school is a nightmare for any teenager but Tara lives in the shadow of a harrowing family curse. Don't miss this horrifying reimagining of the infamous Lizzie Borden story. You'll scream for this chilling psychological horror ride. Watch The Inhabitant in theaters and on demand October 7th. So, Helena, you were born in Amsterdam. Uh, Yes. Tell me, were you brought, both of your parents were artists. Were you brought up yeah. in a small artist colony? What, what was life like? Sort of, so very, um, they uh, are, uh, were hippies, you know, so it was all very alternative. Uh, they really brought us up without a lot of boundaries. So, you know, it was all a lot of creativity, a lot of love, not so much structure. <laughs> <laughs> It was great because we could, you know, we could totally evolve and like be who we wanted to be. And uh, yeah, I, I have really beautiful memories of of my childhood. Well, uh, did your your parents influence your interest in the arts? Did you want to, were they painters? Were they designers? Were they sculptors? They were sculptors and painters. Um, yeah, they did all, all kinds and, and they, they made drawings and my father did video art as well. Um, yeah, I think just to be in that kind of environment was super inspiring. So when I, I was six, uh, I, I saw the film Annie, even though my parents didn't want me to see any moving images, the babysitter got really bored and then she took me to see Annie. And that's when I told them that I wanted to become an actress. 
and they were then they built me a theater in our house. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. That's rather indulgent, but also pretty wonderful. And 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 the choice you chose was to move toward theater rather than the painted or sculptural arts. Yeah, exactly. I I felt we, we I did do a lot of I still love to paint and draw and all of that, but uh -huh. I never felt a calling uh to do that as a profession i'm more i'm more I do that to express myself or i do it to uh give somebody a birthday present or make a little painting but i never uh no i never felt that calling but it was very clear to me that i wanted to be physically a present and a physical performer uh, when i was young yeah so that was annie the john houston movie and and <laughs> what was it a babysitter or you saw it on the stage a babysitter took you to the stage or was no, it no they took uh, the babysitter took uh, me and my sister because we didn't have a lot of toys because my parents were so against you know they they are they really believed in rudolf steiner was this philosopher and um he thinks that children should use their imagination so we only had like wooden blocks to play with and stuff like that you know uh, so the right. babysitter got super bored with us because we didn't have a lot of toys and then she took us to the theater to cinema uh to see it on the screen the film annie um the musical uh with the orphan who gets adopted by daddy warbucks Right. And so we saw it on the big screen. And, and I, I, up until then, I had never seen TV. I, I was completely closed off from the normal world. So I, going to a theater to see, you know, to see a film was just a magical experience. <laughs> well, to be, <laughs> to be a yeah. tiny child and to see it on the big screen, that to be your first motion picture experience, rather than as most kids on television, must have been overwhelming. Oh, it was so overwhelming. And it was this whole world that I didn't know about. And 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 also just identifying with that orphan who, you know, who didn't have anything but had big dreams. And also that she was really funny. And of course, she's also like uh, cheeky. And I just, I loved everything about it. And I, th and I also thought that she made that film herself. I thought the actress made that film. I didn't of understand. Course. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I was like, that's, I want to step into that world. You know, I want to be in that world. That's what I knew at that point. And so from then on, you you wanted to study theater and you had classes where you were able to do this. And you're in an artist colony where I imagine that was encouraged by the people around you. Oh, yes, for sure. And we had a huge um, big house with a big garden. And, you know, a lot of people always around us, like you said, it was like a, a, an art uh, community. And so, yeah, so my, my dad built me a theater and I started to write plays and force everybody to, to, to watch my plays that were so, probably super boring <laughs> <laughs> for hours, you know, but uh, they were all, uh, yeah, so open to it and loved it. But my father did say sometimes, like, I think he did, he was a little bit afraid of how, you know, how hard it would be. Like as a, as a painter or a sculptor or a writer, you can create your own art but I really said to him I want to be an actress I want I said to him I want to be famous you know oh and he was like oh lord you know what I mean? <laughs> he, he, did, he did say a little bit like get it all out like like go get it all out of you in the theater that I built for you but but I think he hoped that after that I would choose to not become famous or anything like I, I felt that he but he died when I was 10 so he never got to see my career or anything but I remember him being a little bit like oh, I don't know you know yeah so at a very early age at 10 tell me uh, tell me about anthroposophy who's that uh, the the oh, anthroposophy uh, yeah 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 yeah, yeah. sorry <laughs> That's the language. I, I didn't know if I said it right or not I don't know how to say it in English but yeah it's it's a whole philosophy um where they really think that a child you know, should should be able to be a child. So you shouldn't pressure it too much. You shouldn't have it do all the tests and all the pressure that is often on children now in education or, you know, where they have to do all these tests all the time and are judged and get grades. Uh, so we went to a school that was also founded uh, uh, by people who believed in that philosophy. So you were basically um, teach uh, a lot of creative uh, things and not so many you know, that's why I still cannot spell and my grammar is really bad. <laughs> and yet you're an author as well. Yeah, exactly. So I seriously, I love to write, and but I, I need like help with the editing of, because I just literally did not learn that because they, it's all based on stories and myths and fables and drawing and painting and all that kind of stuff. 
It's very special. So at a very early age, um, despite your, your parents' interests in the arts and in spiritual beliefs, um, you wanted to become a Catholic. I did. Tell oh me God. how that came about. That came about because I was so attracted by anything theatrical. And, and also, I think because ah. we, were, we were raised also so free, you know, there was so there was there was no structure. The church, of course, had all these rules and rituals. And because we in the beginning, we attended a Catholic school because the, the Steiner school that they wanted us to go to, which is based on the Anthroposophie, was too far. So in the beginning, we, we for a year or something, we went to Catholic school and I was like, oh, because... <laughs> I loved all the things my parents hated, you know, like <laughs> the rules and the, I just loved it. Like, I thought it was so intriguing. So it's so ironic, of course, when you want to give your children everything that you didn't have when you grew up, because they were raised both religious. So they didn't want that for us. But so, and then I said, <laughs> I'm going to be baptized, you know, and they were like, what? And you but, were. And I was because <laughs> their whole idea of life was that um, you should listen to your children. And if they want to go a certain path, then you should just support them that's basically so they were there when I got baptized and everything and I wore like a white dress and I I saw it as like a, a play you know or a, a, a grand was, theater yeah yeah theater and like marrying Jesus like I was it was a whole story to me my parents were literally like what is happening I loved uh, it oh uh, <laughs> so the the church was a big influence on you do you think you've retained elements of that upbringing uh, in your artistry to the day I, I think that my um, uh, my upbringing uh, made me very uh, liberated in a lot of things. You know, I, I think the main thing that I got from my parents was not to judge anyone and to really see that there's no uh, good people or bad people, but that we have light and darkness in all of us. And I feel for the theater, uh, for my work with Ivo van Hove, who's a big theater director, I think that is what connected me to him, you know, where... He he would do big classical plays and deconstruct them like Hedda Gabler or, you know, any Shakespeare play or whatever. And we would never judge a character, but we would always just show all the different sides. And so I think me on stage, I could be completely free and like a, they call me a stage animal, you know, because I, I, I had no shame in that sense because my parents raised me with so much love and so much um, confidence, which basically is that whole philosophy. Uh, the downside of it is that you know, you're not really equipped to live life in the sense that you have to pay bills. You know, like in the beginning, I didn't understand any of that. Nothing. <laughs> I, I thought that people would give them money when they when they went to the supermarket. I thought they got like I didn't. They never talked about. They were against all of that. You know, they were like society is just a construct. Like they didn't like that at all. So. Right. Well, after your father passed away, you moved to a bigger town, which gave you access to a theater school which I imagine helped you bloom tremendously at that time. Yeah, that was wonderful. I was um, uh, 11 when I entered like a, uh, like a school for young people. They were very professional, but you have had to audition for it. And you went there after normal school. And that really changed me. Of course, then I, I really, you know, started to actually learn the craft, like, and, and, and there were great teachers there. Yeah, that really, and then I felt so at home with with all the other children, and that was really when I felt, oh my God, this is it. Now I found the right um, group, and now I can really develop my talents. Well, I'm curious about the life of structure that you found and how encouraging it was and focused it helped you become. Because as an actress, you've done such a broad variety of things and and character roles, uh, but it it seems like that structure is what you needed to really kick it off. Oh, absolutely. You're so right by saying that. I think because that, of course, lacked in my upbringing, but this theater school for, for young people was uh, very structured. You know, there were a lot of rules. It was all based on the idea that if you go on stage at eight o'clock and people pay the tickets, you know, if you're not there or if you're five minutes late, it's not going to work. So they were teaching this uh, to the very young uh, children there that, you know, discipline, classical training. And then after, um, when I, I grew older and, and actually went into a, a, a theater school when I was 18 in Maastricht, that is also the most strict theater school in our country. I really chose that path. I really need, I still struggle, like right now I'm writing a new script 
and then you have to make your own structure. And I find that really hard. Like either then I'm only working 24 seven, you know what I mean? Or nothing happens. It's very like, I really need, I love it when there's a clear schedule. When the, I love that. I love when you need a lot of, is, is it the same word discipline and, and, yes. you know, and, and work ethic too. And that is what the theater gave me for such a long time too. And as a writer, you don't have anybody but yourself on your own back with the whips and chains. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that very, very hard. In the beginning, I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. I can do what I want. And then after three days, I'm like, oh my God, get me out of here. Where's, <laughs> where's the theater? Where's the stage? Where can I, you know, like I get really scared. And I started out as a writer, which led to me directing. And, and so there's such different disciplines, as you know. Um, and for me, writing is a facility that comes easily to me. But so many other writers I know, it's something that they really have to struggle with. And, and perhaps part of it is that lack of structure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, it's a huge gift if, if, if that comes natural, I feel. Um, for me, it, it does not so easily because... I think because my parents never taught me and, and there was no structure in our home. There literally was none. There were no rules. So it's hard for me to create rules and also to give myself to say, okay, now you can for a couple of hours do something else. You know, I feel that when you're working on a project that you're only making yourself, then when do you stop? Like who tells you, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, with, I with, do. yeah, that's hard. Like, it, it, and it's also great because of course, when you're in a flow, then you can just continue and continue. But a person also needs a little rest anyway. I mean, it's all luxury problems, of course, because it's so, we're so privileged that we can even make money doing creative things, I feel, you know, so I'm, I'm very grateful. But yeah, structure is a big, a big uh, theme in my life. Yeah. So Groningen really helped you in, in that respect. Um, tell me about that first time that you performed on a stage and felt the feedback of an audience. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was very young when I went to like an open evening. It, it, I was a child still in the in the theater in Groningen. Um, I just felt the same magical feeling that I had when I watched Annie. Uh, I think I felt then I really felt, oh, this is, the, you know, it really it never becomes so beautiful as the first time. I, I just felt completely at home on the stage. And and that hasn't always stayed like that, unfortunately, because as you know, the more knowledge you get of something, the you know, the scarier it becomes. And <laughs> yes. but at, at that point, I was so naive and beautifully pure that I loved it. I absolutely loved it because something went wrong. I was gonna sing or I don't know, but there was the music didn't come. But I didn't mind. I was I was. <laughs> You were you know, there anyway. Yeah. yeah, I was there. I was in the moment. I was like, oh. I mean, later, of course, in life, when during my career, when the music wouldn't start as a metaphor, I would, of course, be so angry. But at that point, I was okay with anything and just really found my calling. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you know that would be your calling and your living uh, so that you could pay the bills at the grocery store? I always thought I'm just going to do this. Like from the moment I saw Annie, I knew, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And I didn't really care at that point. Also seeing my, my parents being struggling artists and they always managed to survive somehow. So I think I never really uh, even thought about that. I had to make money or be successful only later when I find out that it's really hard to get into theater schools, you know, that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, people will audition for it and only seven get accepted or something. That's when I started to become nervous. Like, Oh my God, I hope. And then, and then I find out that, you know, there's not a lot of work for actors. And, and then of course I become more and more ambitious and, uh, and it becomes more serious, you know, and you become uh, more scared also. Well, in the Netherlands work on the stage, uh, obviously would eventually spill over into film and television. So tell me about how that experience changed your profession for you, because acting for the proscenium is very different for acting for a camera that's right in your face. Yeah, so I, I always combine the two, but my main focus has always stayed theater. Um, I, I, li I love uh, being on film sets and, and I, I love um, meeting, uh, you know, all new people and great directors, but I never felt especially in my country, that there were really good scripts. The, it, it, the, the film um, world in my small country is quite limited and, and it's going better and better. But when I was young, it was kind of like when, you know, I had uh, in my hand 
an Ibsen play or Chekhov or, and I would always think, compare that to the film scripts I got, you know? And I was like, I, yeah. I'd rather <laughs> had a Gabler or I'd rather play The Taming of the Shrew or The Three Sisters than this weird script that I got. But I did love, I worked with Paul Verhoeven, which was intensely inspiring. I, I had- Well, I that was worked. a black book. That was probably the first movie that you were a participant in that opened in the United States. Yeah, it was, and it was one of the only international projects I did Valkyrie with Tom Cruise later. Right, um, and Brian Singer directing. Yeah, Brian Singer. And and th those were wonderful experiences because you, you felt that the world, also Paul Verhoeven, of course, being somebody who works so much in the United States, he has a very different vision than like a regular Dutch filmmaker. So I loved doing those things. And there were multiple directors, film directors that I did really enjoy working with, but I just feel, felt that for me, for my specific talent as an actor, it was better to be on stage. I think also because I'm very physical, you know, and I have, I'm very expressive. And I just think- that <laughs> Your hands aren't moving at all. <laughs> so I just think that that like more mathematical way of acting. And also I think a, a, a true film star is able to just be in front of a camera, and I don't have that gift. I I I am I am so energetic, and so I felt my I could just grow so much more on stage. And then when Ivo van Hove, he was my hero from from when I was very young. I saw his plays, and I always wanted to work with him. And when he approached me and I joined his company, he became you know he was working with David, but like he was starting to become big all over the world and then we started to to play everywhere around the world so i felt very satisfied in my ambition as an actress just being a stage actress and on film sets i could be a little bit lost you know mm -hmm. i felt like uh, i don't really know what i'm adding here i'm i i felt like i also felt on film sets like a very small uh piece in the machinery whereas on stage if i decide to do something nobody can stop me because <laughs> it's a life it's a live event. And I felt with film, somebody could just cut me out. Yeah, well, and it's pieces of time, basically. You're you're making little pieces of time and cutting them together and choosing the best parts. You don't have a do-over on stage, whereas you do on film. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And of course, now I'm completely obsessed and in love with film, but yeah. it's in a very different capacity because now I'm a filmmaker. <laughs> Yeah, or whatever. I'm a director or whatever I am, but I love to be in that now. Like I, I right now, I don't feel the need to go into the theater at all. So it's very interesting how that completely shifted in my life. Interesting. Well, yeah. I'd still like to stay in the theater just a little bit to yeah. to see what you felt your strengths were in the theater as an actress. What were the things, either that excited you or that you felt best suited to attack? I think I'm very good with classical plays and um, making them modern and, and real and contemporary, grounding them into the current times, together, of course, with my director, Ivo. But even before that, with other directors, I would my first role was Ophelia and Hamlet. So that was really my sort of like, uh, how do you say that, trademark, that I right. would play all these classical you're doing Ophelia and the Cherry Orchard and and Cherry Orchard and and all of those things, and O'Neill and and I, I really felt at home in those old stories and then uh, looking at them and thinking yeah but what does that mean now you know who is Hedda Gabler now or who is uh, Maria Stewart now or and that really I love that I love history and I love all of that um and also I think what I can bring in the, th so it's, it's a, a good feeling with language uh, that you need for those kind of texts, you know, because it's complicated and heavy and I love that challenge, but yet to make it very human. And um, I think my main, the core for me of acting is no ego. You know, for me, yeah. acting is, is reacting. It has nothing to do with who, you know, what do I look like? Or uh, it's only about reacting and being truthful within artificial circumstances. Um, so I think my honesty, if you will, uh, on my best nights, because I could have ugly nights where I was pure fear and ego, but <laughs> on my better nights, I think my honesty was what was my skill, you know, to, to really make the audience almost think that it was actually taking place and that I was actually crying or making love to or 
you know, I would, that was always what I heard, like very raw and honest and just without any vanity. Yeah. On, on top of the skills and those abilities, it's also a great actor has no walls. You yeah. have to allow everything in and out. Absolutely. And that is, uh, that's why I think both you and me know that that profession is very intense and it's, it's, it's some super vulnerable and, and very shameful also, can it be, you know, because it's so comfortable to have walls. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But to be, to be naked, uh, yeah. whether, uh, whether physically or otherwise, yes, uh, that, that's demanding. And that's what you need to be, to be a great actor. 100%. And, and uh, when, when you do it on stage, it is the, also the repetition of doing it night after night, after night, after night, that can become very, um, you know, intense and, and it asks everything. Uh, and you, so you kind of live, you, you kind of save yourself for the night, you know, because you know, you, you, you try almost not to live. You go on standby because you know, like, oh my God, tonight I have to give all of my emotions and all of, all of my physicality and all of my everything to the audience. And I might as well not move too much or feel too much during the day. So that is a very strange life. You know, you, you live really just for that it's like uh athletes i think also you know you you save yourself you completely make and then for those hours you shine and then you go to bed <laughs> <laughs> what was the most vulnerable you ever felt on stage i think it was when we started to really tour the world and for instance we uh, did the fountainhead which is of course a very controversial book uh, we did a theater version of that and i played this woman um that uh, it has a very complicated uh, sexual relationship with the main character. It's very sadomasochistic, if you will. And of course, Ivo van Hove, which his style is very radical. You know, it was all very extreme. And then there was one scene where I would undress completely uh, for uh, the main character. And um, in France, in Paris, uh, people just all walked out. Oh, they my God. Out. Yeah. And that was very, uh, so, I, I remember that so well. It was, I mean, we we also um, performed it here in, in New York in the BAM. And it was, there was a lot of shouting from the audience as well because of, because uh, the Fountainhead is also Trump's favorite book. You know, it's 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 like, right. how, you can read it in very different ways. But so the, here there was also very intense, but I never felt sh uh, embarrassed here because I could still feel that the audience really respected um what we were doing, even though they, they had comments and they were like, ah, but right. in Paris, I remember I was like dying. I was, I was like, oh. uh, and you're literally and figuratively naked in a very naked. controversial yeah. story. And then they were like, no, no. And they <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So turning to film, who were the filmmakers and what were the movies that inspired you? I think a big inspiration for me is uh, Cassavetes, if I pronounce it correctly. Yeah, that's right. Um, I love his films because they feel so real to me and alive and energetic and uh, also the work of Gina Rowlands within those films I really yeah. that really um, speaks to my heart A uh, Woman so, Under the Influence yes that's my favorite film like that my I called my company A Woman Under the Influence oh. um, I, I love that film. I think that is one of the, you know, and I think a lot of actresses uh, have that feeling. And then what is also has been a great influence on me is um, The Piano Teacher by Haneke. Yeah. Um, that is Isabelle Huppert in general uh, is just, uh, yeah, an amazing actress, I feel. So that influenced me. But it can really be also Scarface, you know, like it, yeah. I, I have a very broad taste. I, I really like to see very, I was, Yesterday I was I was watching Night Porter or you know like it, oh yeah wow that's so, a controversial one I know I know it's and it's 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 so but I can also have a whole uh, month where I only watch '90s films or you know it it really um, can be a lot but but, but you love film, cinema you love cinema yes, I love it I love it and I love I love it and and I I really enjoy going to the movies especially here in New York where. I don't know anybody. I'm very anonymous. You know, I can just sit there in the theater. I so love it. And and sometimes even a, a film that is not that I don't even find that good, I can still enjoy, you know, right. because I still see stuff that inspires me or 
that 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 creates a thought in my brain or so i i think it's 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 a very i love it i really love it well how does it feel to be in a city now in a different country from you left the netherlands where you are extremely well known very well known stage uh, film television actress to be in anonymity it must be kind of a nice cloak yeah, I love it. I, I think it's it feels very safe because you go back to who you you are yourself without all the weirdness of fame. You know, fame, of course, has its upside, so absolutely, but it also makes you paranoia and it makes you very aware of your behavior, and especially in a very small country like the Netherlands and Amsterdam is like a, such a small city. Um, but I, I, there were all, also moments, because I want to be so honest about it, uh, when I arrived here that I missed it, you know, that I was of literally course. so lonely and that it was like, oh. oh, and also I was confronted with how much I got used to it. I I, I, I yeah. wasn't that aware of how much I had gone used to having that public persona. And when everybody oh, looks at you and they know who you are and know who you, you are, feel and that, that recognition. Exactly. And you also feel some sort of weird you know uh, that that you can exist and that you are there and here you know i'm just like hi and trying to make friends and and in the beginning you feel like you're invisible and that is of course starting over again you just need to but it is so good for your character because you know you need to really meditate and go go back to your own heart and 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 you can't just like it's, everything becomes you it's very humbling and 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 everything i took for granted i i now have to rediscover and i i feel that's very good for 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 my development as a human yeah yeah do you still act do you still feel the urge to go on stage or in front of a camera i do feel the urge to to sort of be physical or something and and then i go to yoga but i don't feel the urge <laughs> to to uh to act anymore at this point i might i i sometimes do when i i i'm trying to write a scene and i i can't I, like i was just um uh taking a shower actually and i was like literally playing out a scene that i'm writing on and i was like co co uh, catching myself doing it <laughs> what am i doing but <laughs> I, I i sometimes long for it when i i have a, a little bit of a writer's block or when something goes really wrong i, I just long back to the times that you know, I just go on stage at eight o'clock and, and everything disappears, you know, it's just, it's like all your worries, all your pain. And also if you're angry that day or you went through something horrible, you can express all of that in those big classical plays, right? Because they're all about love and loss and death and sickness. And you can just put it all in there. Yeah, that's great. Now, what led you to want to start writing and then eventually directing? Um, I think that life uh, that I was just describing where you you start to more and more disappear so that you can be uh, these people on stage. I felt I was just like literally disappeared. Like in myself, I just felt I was going to be exhausted, you know, because I think it also has to do with the type of actress that I am in combination with the the intense schedule that we had with that theater group. We would literally play one week in Korea and be that. And then the next week we would play in New York and then we'll be in London. And, and all the different shows were like, and, and when you grow older in that, it just becomes too much, especially because the longer I did it, the more uh, shows I had in my backpack, you know, and right, right. more and more famous these started to sell like you know everybody wanted those shows and and because i was in a lot of them the lead it's just very intense so i think that drove me to think but what do i want or what what is my dream and then and who is helena who am i you've this? got all these characters packed into your brain <laughs> yeah exactly no exactly and and those themes that i love that's why i, I was so addicted to that life like sexuality and power and violence and all of those and love and i thought what can i say about that as a, as a, as a creator and then i uh, so i saw this documentary actually on dutch tv about uh these prisons in which uh often uh relationships would uh be you know there are forbidden relationships between people who would work in the prison and the prisoners and that got me really fascinated um and it reminded me so much of different uh 
different classical plays that I did, I was like, oh, I would like to tell that story in a very abstract way, not realistically like making a documentary about that, but making a feature film. And that's when we started to develop instincts. Yeah, uh, I've been trying to find instinct yeah. and I've, I'm not able to find it in this country, but please yeah. tell me about that. First of all, as a screenwriter, but secondly, this is your first time directing a feature film. Yes, exactly. So um, I, because in the beginning, people advised me to do a short film first, uh, but that didn't really appeal to me. I, I don't know why I was so arrogant to think, uh, no, I will not. <laughs> start with the feature film also i do think because i've been in so many plays dramaturg uh, the dramaturgy of it all uh was very much in my boats you know because i know i've read so many plays and and set and every night every night lived in those plays so i could dream those plays you know so and that is the best education i feel and so um so so i so we started to create a we i worked together with a, a writer and we started to create this story about, well, that that actually existed about a therapist who fell in love with a rapist that she was treating in the in the in the prison. Wow. Uh, which is, of course, about for to me, that is a story about control and uh, addiction and power and, and sex and and gender. Um, very controversial, of course. <laughs> That's why it's also not not released here in the US. <laughs> oh, but that's what I love. Yeah. It's very taboo. And it's 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 a sexual thriller, but um and I asked my best friend Carice van Houten, who people might know as the Red Priestress in Game of Thrones. Right. Uh she uh uh played the therapist and 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 we together founded a company called Man Up and so we also produced that film and we uh started to create the script. In the meantime because it I was still fully on stage at that point. So I was like riding in the wings, but my I, you can't, a theater career is planned years ahead. So you can't just say like, oh, I'm leaving by, you know, you have to finish. And so in the meantime, uh, we also started to develop a TV show because I really loved writing. So we started to develop Red Light, which is a show about sex work. Um, and in so Amsterdam, we, of course, yep, with the most exactly. famous red light district in the world. Exactly. And so we, we and uh, those people, uh, they were like, you can only do that if you star in it. So me and Carice both started it. I didn't want that. I already knew I want to stop acting. You know, at that point I was done. I was done, done, done. And so we developed those two things. And then it took us a couple of years, of course, to get together the money and to get it financed. It's all government money in, in my country. So, but you still have to go through the process to get it. And then we, the first thing that was uh, financed was in instincts, and we did it. And the 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 rapist is played by Marvan Kanzari. He is a wonderful actor. He he's in the new Black Adam film. He uh -huh. does a lot. He's uh, in um, Aladdin. He plays Jafar. He 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 not only works in America, but they are amazing duo in this film. And I loved it. The moment I was on set for the first time, I just thought, okay, this is my new calling. This 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 I love this. Here, this is what I always want to do the rest of my life. I just love it so much. Well, tell me about the pre-production process. Your first time out, you've not done a short film before. You've been on film sets plenty, but yeah. here you are in charge. So yeah, tell so, me about the process of bringing it to the screen for you. I think what was good was that the, the Dutch Film Fund, which is sort of the institution that determines who gets money and, and who doesn't, um, they were very hard on me and on Carice, which, you know, you can, th that has two sides, but it, I think it is, it was good for us because it really uh, made me fight, you know, and I had to, they were like, why do you want to, why do you want to do this? Why don't you just, that's very Dutch to say, why don't you just stay, stay in your lane? You know, you're an, <laughs> yeah. don't, don't change profession and you're, you know, act normal. Don't think you're all that. And so they really, uh, you know, made us work for it and work for it. And, and I think that was good because we came so prepared. Like I, years and years of preparation. <laughs> I was so ready at that point. And so I, I loved um, being in, in charge, but I, I feel that my whole history uh, coming from hippies and communes and all of that, I felt uh, I'm more a collaborator than anything else. So what I also really enjoyed is creating a, a dynamic in which everybody uh, would uh, feel seen and taken seriously and to give the actors what I had missed on all those film sets where I felt such a little part of a machinery to really give them the idea 
even though that I have a vision and this is how I think it should go, but that they um, were taken seriously by me and, and, and could have ideas and make them feel safe mentally. And all of that, I, I just absolutely loved. And um, I also really felt that I had a story to tell. You know, I really felt, especially in the time of feminism and especially in after Me Too, I feel for me, it is incredibly important that we finally have that space now, but also that I want to talk about the gray. You know, I want to talk about everything in between. I don't want to talk about puritanical, this is good, this is bad. I want to talk about what is actually, you know, what I'm embarrassed about, what I'm afraid of, what, what is in me that I don't even dare to look at. That's what I want to put on screen and because I feel that will connect all of us because we all walk around with this like black box of fears and, and shameful things. And so I feel that a big mission <laughs> You know, but but with humor and 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 not not to make it too heavy, but I do feel a lot of motivation to do that. Well, the transition from Hedda Gabler to uh, Instinct to a teen, a, a youth oriented American thriller, Bodies, 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 which is so much better than that uh, description <laughs> would would be lie. Um, it's a curious route to take, and I'm curious as to how you ended up doing this movie. You're collaborating with several people collaborated on the script and, and it came together, but um, it's so clever. And you mentioned Cassavetes as an influence and all of the yeah. fluid handheld stuff, technically the way the film is made, you see that throughout. Yeah. But yeah. how did this come to be from this highfalutin actress director to doing something that some consider a gutter genre, but obviously we do not. <laughs> um, yeah, it went like, so Instinct uh, had this uh, very beautiful path to all these big film festivals and, and London was one of them. And and then, um, you know, I got signed by an American agency and, and they asked me, who do you want to meet? You know, and, and my first um, studio that every filmmaker, of course, says is A24, you know? Right. That never really happened and I was like, whatever. But then they saw the film and they were super intrigued. So we started to have a dialogue and then they suddenly sent me the script. And at that point it was uh, written by Kristen Rupinian and it was a very traditional slasher, you know, and it had a killer and it, it was, I mean, she's a very talented writer. So there was something in there, but it wasn't anything that I would want to do. Right. Um, but I did, I did love what she did with the game. I like because that game, we call it mafia or murderer or werewolf or whatever. We used to play that um, a lot with my friends. So, and the psychological warfare aspect of that, I loved. And also the idea of a film taking place because my first film basically takes place in a prison, right? So it's also very much uh, limited locations. And this is of course only one location. And that is reminded me a lot of the theater. So all these elements, so A24 kept, talking to me and then at a certain point I was like well you know if I were you I would make it more into Lord of the Flies meets Mean Girls and I would make it more about the current times and and then they introduced me to Sarah the Lab which is an amazing playwright very young and just I read one of her plays I was like oh my god and then we just hit it off and we started to recreate the script and I have to say I think after all these you know intense uh, roles that I had uh, played on stage I think I was also longing and instinct which is also very heavy and red light which is a great I mean I'm super proud of red light but we just I just finished that right before uh, I came to America it's also a heavy topic you know it's about uh, human trafficking and you right. know what I mean so I was sort of ready to do something light and to do something a Playful. little more Playful. And and what you said, like it's it's also a construct. It's it's a it's a ritual slasher. Everybody knows what's gonna happen. And somehow I, I also felt at home in that since a Shakespeare play is also a construct, you know, you know what's gonna happen, but we're gonna do it in our way. Yeah. So I kind of was intrigued by that. And then I could take my own DP from Holland, which which is my creative partner. Um and yeah, and so that's how it came about. <laughs> Well, I, I'm so glad it did because you do bring a personality to it that is often devoid in this kind of film. And I'm curious as to how you found the house because it yeah. is, it's a bottle movie. It's a very difficult thing to do to be able to keep a movie alive when you're in one location. You knew you were going to be there for 
you know, 30 days or whatever it was. Um, how did you decide on the house and, and where was it? Yeah, so the house was in Chappaqua, which is close to Terrytown, which is, let's say, an hour from New York. It's it's more like in a rural area. Yeah, it's uh, the Clintons town. Yeah. It's the Clintons town. I didn't know that. I only yeah. I only found out later, but I had no idea. But I was uh, very worried, to, to be honest with you, and nervous because we, we had a very limited budget. We only had 23 or four, 24 shooting days. So I was completely nervous about finding that house because Sarah and I, you know, we could type everything up, but are you actually going to find a house that is that big and that has all those different rooms that we wanted and needed? Um, and so when we found this one, I remember the locations, uh, uh, the people who, who found it were, were like, you know, I don't know, because it's so deteriorated because it it was a huge, you, you guys call it a Mac mansion. It is absolutely insanely big, but it was so expensive. Nobody wanted to buy it. So it was complete. Like it was, there was mold in it. Animals were living inside <laughs> it. There were like uh, mice floating in the pool. It was so crazy, but I didn't care because I was like, we have every single room that we need and more because what I love is the same, like in the theater, we have like the costume department and the, and the, and the technicians have their thing and everybody has space to, um, you know, to really be there and work together. So on top of all the rooms that we needed for the film, we also had rooms for the actors and so that nobody had to leave that set. And that is what I love to keep everybody close. And that is the way uh, I like to work. So when we found that house, I was so happy. And then when, when we got it, because you, you know how it goes, you also have to negotiate it and, and, you know, convince the people that we're not going to totally mess it up. So it was, it, we used to use it as a stage, you know, it, it was incredible. And so you didn't find that you needed to make alterations to the script to, because of the house, the location itself. Not, not much. And, 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 and we, it was so huge that we could even build little sets within the house, you know? So sometimes we changed the hallway or, we put a little fake wall or we, you know, we did stuff like that uh, because it was just the biggest thing. We, I would actually get lost. And you saw, <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we 70% of the film is shot in the dark because they, the power goes out. And so we would have, and you know, us coming from Europe being so dogmatic, we of course love to really make it dark. And so yeah. it was often so dark, <laughs> really scared in that house. Well, we even call it dogma, right? Yeah, dogma, right. And then there was a raccoon who was in that. It was a crazy house, but it, 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 we loved it. It, it. All of us really enjoyed. Um, and also it was very appropriate for the time of COVID, of course, because you have to stay in a bubble. And, you know, so it was a, a great a, a great way of shooting. And the, the main challenge is then how do you keep it entertaining for an audience, even though you don't have, you know, multiple locations and going to the beach or the forest or and I think that was also, we had fun do, thinking like that and really thinking, how can I make it dynamic, even though we are in the same house all the time? And it truly is. Were there movies that you watched for inspiration before you started? Heathers was a big inspiration for me, uh, which is an old uh, uh, yeah, horror with one on a writer and has a similar tone where, you know, there's violence, there's blood, but there's also humor. And for me, the humor was the biggest key into this, the, the dark humor. Uh, also a movie I love and it's kind of like hard to get here to see here is um, Don's Plum with Leonardo DiCaprio and Toby Maguire. It's basically a group of young people sitting in a cafe talking and it's absolutely beautiful. It's flows. It's I love it when friend groups, because that's very hard to pull off a, a believable friend group, you know, and I love that when in kids or Don's Plum, they really pull that off. And that was very important to me to watch a lot of or Robert Altman is also so good at like making yeah. groups. They're like, you know, and everybody talks over each other. And I, I love that. I love that kind of dynamic. Yeah. Talk uh, me through the casting process, because it's a great group of young people. I mean, the only yeah. one I was familiar with before, of course, is Pete Davidson. And I think everybody loves to see something horrible happen to Pete Davidson. <laughs> Oh, Pete. Yeah, no, we we really wanted a group that was very different, like people from all kinds of different corners of the creative world, because to me, it was important that, you know, we had people who, who were theatrically trained, but also people who had a lot of humor, because that is, it, it. it's very hard if you want to create a film full of tension, that every joke, of course, uh, takes attention away, because then you're sort of relieved and you're like, oh, okay, well, whatever, you know? And so then you have to build it again. So I was very aware of that. And of course, the whole Cassavetes obsession that I have and my own acting history, I, I it was very important to me that 
you know, the acting would be wonderful and that everybody would be believable and it would be organic. And so um, some of the actors we asked, like Amanda Stenberg, who is this amazing uh, uh, actor that has been acting since she was a very small baby uh, child. You know, she was in the Hunger Games even as a kid. And wow. so she's so experienced. And then you have Rachel Sennett, who's a pretty new, you know, she did a great film called Shiva Baby, but she's not that experienced. And she is amazing in the film. And then we have Maria Bakalova, who's classically trained in Bulgari, who has an Oscar nomination for Borat. You know, it was such a wonderful, eclectic. Oh, right, right. Yeah, she's not very recognizable in my film, but uh, no, I didn't realize that was her. That's a revelation. Yeah. yeah so all, and then my Hala Harold, she's uh, one of the leads in an HBO show called Industry, and and she is very classically trained. And and then you have Pete, who of course is is comes from stand up comedy, basically in SNL. So. I loved working with a group like that. And I think because the film also really tries to say something about our current times and social media and, you know, our lack of really being intimate with each other, but being overwhelmed by technology, I just felt it was really important that I found young people that also knew that kind of world, you know, and that could advise me also because I'm 46, what do I know? So I would (laughs) constantly ask them like, is this funny to you? Is what kind of music do you listen to? Do, is this how you speak? Do you want to change anything? Do you have any ideas? You know, would you wear this? Would you, you know, is this makeup? Does that feel right? So I really uh, felt it was a complete collaboration between me and them. Were you able to have the uh, the ability to do rehearsals beforehand, where you were able to play things out, or would you rather play them? You know, Steven Spielberg never rehearses his cast. He just, take one is take one. Um, how did you handle working with this young cast? No, I I, uh, I was intimidated by the group scenes, knowing that these actors were all pretty new to me. And my, my first film I did with my best friends, you know, so it's a big difference. Um, so what I did was I uh, immediately when I said yes and we were making my deal, I was so uh, uh, awake to say to them, I want to rehearse at the location uh, for two weeks with stand-ins because I knew I was never going to get the actors. Right. Never, ever. You know, because that's just not how it works. So me and Jasper, the DP, we did that. So with a group of people, it was absolutely wonderful. And why I do that is not because after, with that information, I'm not going to be a dictator and say to my actors, well, you know, this is what I found out. No, it's just that to have a starting plan. So, and for me to feel everything, to choreograph everything, to bump into all the things that were impossible or that we had to change or whatever. And so then when the cast was there, um, we also had a couple of days of rehearsing on the location, which was amazing. I would rehearse with them dry, as I call it. So just saying the lines, no emotions at all, because like Spielberg. You don't want to use it up. No, I don't. And I don't like that as an... Uh, when when that's asked of me, I can only give if I'm an actor, you know, I can only give fully if I have to, but not if it's like, and so, but for them to to get it into their bodies, the 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 blocking, that I think helps so much because then they were, will just be more confident. And I also told them, learn your lines. I said, I'm going to approach it as a theater play. You know, you have to be able to do the whole film without stopping, you know, like, and they were so hungry and they were so into that and they, and that really helped them so that when we were doing those group scenes, because if six people are talking, it's really hard to know when your cue is. And But they could dream those scenes. And then if you have so much knowledge and if you're prepared like that, then you can actually tell them to let go and improvise and, you know, and and, and make them feel that they're loose and, and that anything can happen in the moment. And the way you shoot it is loose as well. It feels almost documentary style. You're not on Dolly track. You're not... It's not a formal feeling and it feels fresh and it, like it's happening for real right in front of you. Um, was it, were your camera operators able to just catch things? How, how rehearsed was the camera work? So my DP operated himself, which is so important to us. Sometimes we have multiple cameras, but in the end, mostly we chose for the handheld and him operating. But also that the rehearsing before the actress came in is also for is for both of us, you know, is for us also to find out like what is the flow. Because if you want to work that loose handheld, you really need to know what you're doing because otherwise it just becomes chaotic. You know, in order right. to create chaos, you need to create order. Uh, so that's what we did ahead of time. And then 
he is such a unique talent. If people want to get to uh, know his work more, you should watch the film Monos. It's a South American film, incredible film. His mm. camera work there is insane because it's all in the jungle and it's crazy. Wow. But he feels, he's almost like an actor. So he really feels, um, you know, if something really interesting hap is happening behind him, then he will just like uh, pan towards that. So sometimes there were, of course, scenes where we were, doing coverage and, and you know where we had certain close-ups because I wanted to be able to cut in a way where I could really be in charge of timing since it's comedy but we also had scenes where we were much looser and I think for the actors that is wonderful because they never really know when the camera is going to be pointed on them so they will be <laughs> they will be full in it all at all times and we would do very long takes so it would never feel too technical for them you know it would always really feel as if you're on stage where you get the reward of really going through something uh, you know, every night. And with acting in film, I always felt it was so technical that I could really not use my talent. And so I wanted to create a, like a playground for them in which they could actually, they know it's not a documentary, but it became very real, you know. Right. And thank goodness for the advent of digital cinema, because you would never have been able to shoot 70% no. of your movie with iPhones. <laughs> no, that's crazy. That is, of course, the new diamond. Yeah, and, and that also, I mean, what, what was nice, even though, of course, it gave us a huge headache, me and my DP uh, beforehand, because you're so scared that it's not going to work, people are not going to want to see a film in the dark, blah, blah. But in the end, any limitation, as you know, will give you such an explosion of creativity. You know, you just have to sit with it and figure it out. And, and you become, you know, I mean, it's such a cliche to say, but it's just how it works. And so I felt in the end that that was wonderful and that really that limitation uh, forced us to be um, creative with lighting and also with acting and be economical about it and yeah and, and create a lot of uh, energy so that it would stay um, interesting for the people. Yeah, I mean, this film has one of the most satisfying endings of anything out there right now. It's really, truly wonderful. But um, I would love to hear what it was like for you to sit in the audience for the first time with an audience seeing this film. It was incredible. It was one of the most, I don't know, life-changing moments or something because it was so scary to me way more than with instinct because with instinct it was of course my own idea my own script i worked on it for six thousand years it felt very <laughs> it felt like a much slower cooking you know go going into and then instinct is also a film where you don't know what people think people are not gonna laugh because it's not funny. right it's so not it's very yeah you're like okay well i guess they saw it <laughs> and then you leave the room but with this, of course, when you're making this, you know that you want people to react, you know, because you're it's a it's a full blown, uh, ridiculous comedy. So the absurdity of it all, you you need that to to sort of provoke a reaction. So the first, of course, the showing was it was on South by Southwest, which is a big festival, and they showed it in a huge cinema, and I just died. I lit. I had. I never had so many panic attacks. Not even when I went on stage. <laughs> never. I was like. <gasps> And so when, but when it started from the start, they were, it was explosive, the reactions. And that's what I love about American audiences too, because in Europe, they're much more reserved and very, you know, they can be a little judgmental. And here I feel, especially at that festival, they're so open and warm. Yeah. <laughs> like the yeah. best way to, for me to be like giving birth to this child. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I guess it's not, you know, so it was just the little moment where you, can only be happy and reliefs that, you know, at least some people uh, seem to enjoy it. Well, we've talked a lot about the comedy, but we should let the audience that's listening know that it takes its thrills and suspense and horror seriously. Oh, yeah. Um, I think uh, in a way, of course, there's uh, blood and there's some gore and there's violence. There's a lot of death. Um, but I, I approached it at a certain point more like um, a murder mystery in a right. weird way than anything else. And it's an Agatha once, Christie for millennials. Yeah, exactly. And once I had that, when we were uh, still working on the script, that really um, liberated me because then yeah. I was like, ah, oh, okay. And so I, I thought the sort of marriage between the very sensual, organic, animalistic acting style, you know, inspired by Cassafetti's that I was going for. But then on the other hand, a very mathematical, sort of almost banal puzzle of the whodunit. I, I love that marriage. And of course, um, 
for, for people who haven't seen it, I, I will talk a little bit abstract, but of course the ending plays a huge part in that because the ending yes. sort of makes it about human behavior and human nature, <laughs> which is of course where I come from. You know, all, all, all my stuff is about that and not so much about, you know, an evil spirit or a, right. a, a villain or something. Yeah, it's very grounded in a very real world. And I so appreciate you coming on to talk about the movie. I love the film. I've seen it twice. And I hope that the uh, audience just expands. And I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, this was the most beautiful interview. I really have to tell you, you did so much research. Thank you for for spending so much time and making it so beautiful. I really, really enjoyed it. I oh, really well, enjoyed too. it. Thank oh, you. Me too. Thank you, Helena. And thank you for the great work and just for being so terrific. Thank you so much. And uh, well, I hope to, that we cross paths again. Thank, thanks a lot. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network.